You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Good morning. Good to be with you guys today. My name is Angela Otero. If we've not met before, I'd love to meet you after the service. Uh, I get the privilege of being a pastor here of discipleship and spiritual formation. And I also get the privilege of speaking this morning. So let's pray. Spirit of God, you are already active and you are already present to each of us. And we thank you for this. And we boldly invite more, more of your spirit, more of your mercy, more of your grace, more of your power in our lives. And we want to make use of those things that help us come closer to you. And we want to leave aside those things that don't. So we ask for the grace to do this this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always pleasing to you. Amen. So, every day, each of us is presented with opportunities to live as a wise person or to live like a fool. (laughs) The Bible has a whole genre of literature dedicated to this topic It's commonly referred to as wisdom literature, and one of the books of the Bible that's considered wisdom literature is the book of Proverbs. And so all through September and now into October as well, um, we are looking at wisdom through the lens of the book of Proverbs. And if you're interested in knowing a little more about wisdom literature or the book of Proverbs, I highly recommend in your digital program, there's a link. It'll get you right to something that the Bible Project put together. They have an illustrated video about Proverbs and wisdom literature, and it's really good. So, I mean, even go there now, click on it, uh, hit pause really quick, and then go back to it tomorrow morning in your prayer time. It's, it's really helpful in, in contextualizing what is Proverbs and, and why is it still relevant today. So as you might have noticed behind me, um, we are in a sermon series called I Pity the Fool. And for those of you in the room who were born after the 80s, this is a catchphrase from Mr. T, I Pity the Fool. Um, from the A-Team. Yeah, see, the people who laughed in here are the ones who know who Mr. T is and know who the A-Team is. I even had an A-Team lunchbox. That's how old I am. One of those little metal ones with the plastic thermos inside. Yeah, so, yeah. We pity the fool. So in this message series from Proverbs, we're exploring God's wisdom and discovering what Proverbs teaches us about how to live well, how to live well in every area of life. And today's topic for living well in every area of life is money. Does anyone feel like you need some wisdom about money? can be honest. Yeah, me too. Me too. How to get it, right? Um, how to save it, how to spend it, when to spend it, right? I'm just getting some nods, so this feels relevant. That's good. So today we're going to talk about wisdom for what to do with money. 
Now, as I was combing through the book of Proverbs, there were, what I was noticing is kind of three themes emerging um, regarding our money. Um, and I'd like to call them like a wise invitations to a good life. Uh, and the first one would be the invitation to plan ahead. Plan ahead, work hard, provide for your family, save when you can. The second invitation, avoid discontentment and the evil things that come to us through discontentment. And then thirdly, practice generosity, because that's where the good life is. So let's look at the first invitation, which is to plan ahead, work hard, invest in the future. So um, for those of you who do know me, you know I'm a gardener and a lover of nature. And I love to go outside and just be. <laughs> and I love to watch all the different insects doing their thing. I love to watch the ants going here and there and the pollinators going from flower to flower. And when the weather is nice, you notice that they are always steadily moving along and yet never hurrying or rushing. They're gathering food, they're building their anthills, which we then promptly try to destroy. <laughs> they're going from flower to flower, gathering nectar, always productive, but not in a hurry. In a thousands of years ago, the author of Proverbs noticed the very same thing when he wrote in Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Happy harvest, by the way. It's that time of year. So first thing I notice with this is this verse is a little bit harsh, like starts with you sluggard, right? Um, but it's addressing a person who resists hard work, but it's not necessarily you. And let me say something about that. Some of us do resist hard work that would be good for us to do. But some of us overwork out of pride or self-importance. So with Proverbs, like with all of the Bible. Discernment is needed. Notice the verse says, go to the ant, you sluggard. The verse is not calling everyone who reads this a sluggard. It's not like a general insult for everyone who picks this up. It's a little more like addressing anyone who would be inclined to be lazy. Can you see the difference? It's like saying like, hey, lazy one, this nugget's for you. Listen up. So wisdom literature, among other things, is inviting you to turn your thinker on. It is inviting us to listen carefully, to, with openness, to be challenged, where challenge is needed, and to engage with the text in thoughtful ways. Wisdom literature is not a black and white play-by-play -play rule book. It's a tool for discernment. And so as we take it up that way, we can read it as we need 
to hear it. So one of the things it's saying is don't avoid or resist diligent work. And don't work hard because your boss has to tell you to. Work hard because it's in your own nature to do so. When we work hard and we accomplish a task, we've been designed and created in our brains to receive a hit of dopamine when we accomplish a task. That's why video games are so fun and when you get the little you know, prize or whatever, or when your Fitbit goes off at 10,000 steps and it's like, Dee! it's because they know that you actually receive a hit of dopamine when you get that little um, like surprise at your 10,000 steps. Everybody's looking at me like blank. Does anyone work for that little thing? Okay, thank you. Um, because we're designed to receive pleasure from accomplishing a good work. The verse says it has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions. Take a lesson from the ant. Work a steady job. It doesn't have to be bossed. It's faithful to its work and to its family. It gathers provisions when there's opportunity, and when winter comes, there's plenty to get through until the next harvest. It planned ahead, and it worked consistently, and now it has savings for the lean times. Proverbs goes on to say, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. In Proverbs 13, it says, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. And here's another one. This one is about planning for the future. Proverbs 27, verses 23 and 24. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Then Proverbs 12:11 says, "Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense." This one encourages us not to miss the opportunities that are right in front of us. It is wise to do the obvious thing and earn, the earn with the opportunity that is right in front of us. Dreams aren't bad, planning ahead is good even, but getting so caught up in our future fantasies of what might be causes us to miss the opportunities that are right here, the land we own right now. So the invitation in this one was to get, to plan ahead without getting lost in the future or in our fantasies. And if the first invitation is to plan ahead and work hard and invest in the future, then the next invitation is along the lines of, but don't get distracted by your fantasies. So our second invitation is avoid discontentment. Who here is good at riddles? Any, anybody here good at riddles? A few, a few. I am not, I am really not. But this riddle's for you guys, here we go. The following verses are about debt, exploitation, 
poverty, oppression, dishonest gain, and who has the power? Let's dive in. Here's the question, here's the riddle. What is the common denominator? Proverbs 22, 26 through 27 says, do not be one who shakes hands in pledge or put up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. And then Proverbs 22, 7 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. These verses are bringing up debt, right? Why do any of us get into debt? Because we spend what we don't have. Simple as that. That's debt, spending what we don't have. And you say, well, Angela, well, what about like, medical debt? Or like, well, I have a mortgage. Do you have a mortgage? Yeah, I have a mortgage. I'm not judging debt here. I'm just defining it. Debt is spending what we don't have. The question is, how does that make you fail, feel when I say that word? And is your debt defining you? Proverbs says if you get into debt, you're enslaving yourself. That are some strong words. But check in. Do you feel like a slave to debt? If you're in debt right now, I'm not judging why or how it happened. Proverbs, though, is encouraging us. Don't live that way. It's enslavement. And with God's loving help, how do we get out of it? And with God's loving help, how do we prevent ourselves from getting into it in the first place? Here's some verses about dishonest gain and exploiting the weaker. Proverbs 1, 19. Such are the paths of all who gather after who all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. So if you are dishonest or you cheat to get ahead, it robs you of your life. Proverbs eleven twenty six. Along the same veins, do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and exact life for life. Again, being a bully to those weaker than us takes our own lives from us. And then Proverbs 22, 16, the one who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and the one who gives gifts to the rich, both come to poverty. So what we see in the first invitation that building wealth is encouraged in Proverbs, greed and doing so at the expense of others 
is not. So have you figured out my riddle yet? What is the common denominator of dishonesty and greed and even debt? I gave it away at the very beginning. Avoid discontentment. Discontentment leads to these things. If we're not discontent, we won't find ourselves headed towards greed or dishonesty or even debt because we're happy with what we have and where we are. So, if discontentment leads to these things, then what is the antidote for discontentment? I'll tell you. Generosity. And generosity is the third invitation in Proverbs regarding our money. Proverbs 11:25 says, "A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed." Our generosity helps others and it fills us. And when we open our hands, our finances, our money, we become more free. Somehow that opening of our hands, the fear of not enough, not enough, there's not going to be enough for me. Somehow when we open our hands, that fear is quieted. And when our hands are open, then we're more able to receive because God gives good gifts to his children. And he wants, when our hands are open, is when we can receive the joy and the peace and the healing and the plenty that comes to our lives. Here's a fun stat for you. According to Social Capital Community Benchmark Survey, there's a tongue twister for you, overseen by the researchers at Harvard University, those who gave contributions of time or money were 42% more likely to be happy than those who didn't. Can anyone use 42% more happiness? I can. And thinking, well, when I'm not generous, does that make me 42% less happy? I can't afford to be less happy, guys. <laughs> Proverbs 3:27 says, "Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act." And I love that phrasing of that one because it gives us some boundaries, right? It's not just saying just you should just give and give and give and give and give and give until you have nothing more to give. I'm sorry. Anyone who loves the giving tree book, like I don't think that's healthy boundaries. <laughs> it just gives till it shrivels, you know? And I don't think that's what God's asking us here. Do not withhold good from whom it is due when it is within your power to act. So those of us who have a tendency to overwork, overserve, overgive, that's living outside of our God-given limits. 
He invites us, know your God-given limits, and then within those, get, do not withhold from those to whom it is due. Then you also get to discern, well, to whom is it due? Because we can't give everything all the time to everyone. So again, discernment is needed. But it still comes from this posture of openness and generosity. Then Proverbs 14, 21 says, it is a sin to despise one's neighbor. But blessed, or also translated happy, is the one who is kind to the needy. Now there's a whole bunch of verses in Proverbs that talk about how we should love and care for the poor. And that deserves a, a sermon in and of itself. And so I'm not going to go into those today because we're going to be talking about that in November. But anyone can be our neighbor. And everyone at some point needs our generosity. Research in the neuroscience and psychology fields have offered scientific evidence that helping others brings happiness to ourselves. I've cited this before because I find it fascinating. Psychologists have identified a typical state of euphoria reported by those engaged in charitable activity. It's so common and so there uh, and so quantifiable that it's got, a, it's got a term. It's called the helper's high. The helper's high. The helper's high. And it's based on the theory that giving produces endorphins in the brain that provide a milder, more natural form of the morphine high. So that thing that morphine triggers that makes, I don't know, I've never tried morphine, but <laughs> I hear it's really good, and I'm not encouraging it unless you need it. But here's the thing, you can get that. God created you to naturally receive that same kind of high when you give. It's probably at a better, more manageable dose. <laughs> but isn't that cool? I just, I love, I love our creator and the way our brains were designed. It fascinates me. Research at the National Institute of Health showed that the pleasure center of the brain, that part in us that enjoys an excellent meal or wonderful sex, yes, I said it, it that part of our brains also lights up when participants thought about giving to a charity. I'd encourage you to go one step further and actually do give generously. All this to say, though, that the tighter our fists, the more shriveled our souls become. And if you find yourself clamping down out of fear of not enough, I would encourage you to do the opposite. Open your heart, open your hands to the idea of being generous and trusting God that he wants good things for you. He wants good things for our neighbors, and that's why he's asking those of us who have to give.
the more open our hands, the more free our lives become, the more happy our lives become. But we have to work in order to have something to share. We have to plan ahead and provide for our families before then we can also be generous to those, um, the, our neighbors. I wanted to close today with um, a return to the imagery of living things in a garden. I was reading a blog post, it was kind of a meditation this week, and I just thought, this is worth sharing. It was examining the idea, it's an Ignatian principle, that, that we want to make use of the things that help bring us closer to God. And we want to leave aside anything that doesn't, that stands in the way. So this is what the author wrote. As I watched them, I realized that although the bees were choosing the fuchsia flowers and disregarding the other plants growing in the courtyard, other insects were there seeking nourishment from different sources. And in choosing what was exactly right for them, they were not only receiving their own nourishment, but were also playing an essential role in the fruitfulness of their whole environment. And in choosing one plant rather than another, they were in no way rejecting or denigrating the others. The secret of this harmonious, cooperative life seemed to lie in each creature being true to its own essential nature. Each gained what it needed for survival and for growth from the source that was right for it. And in so, and it did so without harm, either to itself or to the flowers. In fact, after each encounter, both insect and flower were left in a richer state than before. The insect had been nourished by the flower, and the flower had been pollinated by the insect. This picture is an illustration of an Ignatian principle that we can make use, we are invited to make use of what leads to life and leave aside what for each individual does not lead to life. It was a truly creative kind of holy detachment. The insects helped me to understand that God might be calling us when he asks us to let go of our attachments. The bees, I noticed, made no attempt to possess the flowers, nor did the flowers attempt to trap the holy bees. This was a free interchange, perfectly fulfilling the needs of the bees, the fuchsia, and the wider circle of creation around them. This is the economy of God. It's different than human economy. Proverbs shows us that those who work are generally cared for. 
and those who exploit others for gain hurt themselves. And those who see a person, a person in need, aims right at the heart of God. And those who give will receive refreshment and life. Please stand. Let's pray, and as I do, let me invite the worship team forward and also our communion servers this morning. Spirit of God, we pray. Generous God, you are a good and wise creator. And you designed us in such a way that if we work in the ways that we are designed to, it leads to life and it leads to satisfaction. We want to make use of those things that help bring us closer to you and into the fullness, abundant life that you promised, Jesus. And we want to leave aside anything that stands between us and you. As we worship this morning, Lord, by sharing communion and by singing to you, may we see more fully what you have given each of us to do, individually, collectively, that attends to ourselves and our needs and the needs of our family and supports those around us. And as we prepare to celebrate communion now, Jesus, may we follow in your footsteps. You came to earth, you lived and gave your life for us on the cross and you offered your body and your blood as a new covenant, a sign of the new deal that you were making with humanity. No longer do we have to earn anything You offer it freely, Jesus. You did the work. You offer us now healing and hope and happiness. And as we receive communion together this morning, we say yes. We receive what you have given us.